Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Episode 73 of the Sexplanations podcast. I'm Lindsay Doe, your host of this show and the Sexplanations YouTube channel. Joining me today is a host of Eons, one of the most fantastic shows on the internet right now. I hope you're checking it out. Callie, woo! Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Uh, tell us all about you. Um, so yeah, I'm Callie. I'm the, my day job, my nine to five is the collections manager of the University of Montana Paleontology Center. And I moonlight as a host on Eons, I guess. And so, yeah, that's what I do. I, I'm a paleontologist. I get paid. To study? To study ancient life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fun. What's your favorite ancient life? Oh, man. Um... Oh, there's so many. This is the hardest question. Okay, what is I, one of your favorites? One of my favorites. So like if we if you were like, what's your favorite dinosaur? I would probably say Triceratops because of the land before time and Sarah. And she was so headstrong and like, I can do it all by myself. And then she was like, oh, no, I need friends. And it's such a cute, heartwarming story. <laughs> and also one of the first like dinosaur bits um, that I ever found was part of a triceratops too so and the triceratops are the ones that have the cartilage on the head the, the is it cartilage skull? no it's skull if they had the biggest what? skulls yeah the biggest skulls of like anything you're talking about the giant uh kind of fans mm -hmm. on the head with the three horns one above each eyebrow and one on the nose yeah, yeah. that is all bone Mm -hmm. Bone. Yep. And it was protecting their soft, tasty, tender neck skin. And so T-Rex would like literally rip the skulls off to get to that tasty, tender neck meat. It's pretty amazing. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it didn't even serve its purpose. Well, it did until it was dead. And then, <laughs> and then <laughs> there was no purpose anymore. Because while it was alive, if it had its head, you know, up and, and in like an aggressive position, that frill would totally cover the back of the neck. So T-Rex wouldn't have been able to bite down on it. But if T-Rex won the fight or maybe found a dead one already and was scavenging on it to get to that tender neck meat, yeah, they would just like grab a hold of it and like rip it off. Pluck. Pluck. Yep. So when you when they have been found, mm -hmm. that is what the skull looks like. Mm -hmm. It goes up. Yep. Wow. Mm -hmm. What? Yep. Wow. I know. And there's like a bunch of different species. So those are all the ceratopsians. It's in a big family. And they have all different frill ornamentations. So some of them are higher. Some have big holes in them. Some have spikes along the edges. Some have like this crenulation pattern that goes all the way around them. And What's crenulation? Um... Like a scalloped edge. Okay. Yeah. And so we think, you know, defense, posturing, maybe male-to-male -male rivalry during mating season, that might have been their purpose, but um, it might also just have been species recognition. You know, if you had a lot of different types of ceratopsins kind of all in the same area, you'd want to know who your herd was. And so, oh, I'm the three-horned spiky one, not the... Two horn elongated frill with the holes in the middle or something, you know, like that. More of a species identifier than just, yeah, battle. Because we don't find a lot of them with like horn impact sites, you know, like if you th were yeah. thinking that they were stabbing each other in the frill, yeah. you'd find some damaged area and we don't really see that. But if you think about male crabs, today mm -hmm. crabs, 
they usually have one big giant claw, but they don't fight with them. They just posture each other and they size each other up with it. So that might have been what the ceratopsins were doing too, instead of this active like male ram budding head might have just been kind of a standoff where they size each other up more than aggressively fight for interesting yeah it's pretty crazy i'm i don't even know if we'll ever know all of the little inner workings of the day-to-day life of the ceratopsians but it's fun to think about wow yeah now i want to know about their penises and their mating oh man and And we could we could talk a lot about the theories behind you know did they have an external fertilizer or were they cloacal kissers or because you haven't found a baculum like a penis bone or anything Mm -mm. no and it's i believe as far as we know only mammals have bacula oh so birds don't have them but we think they might have used to but it was something that they lost to get lighter weight over time and i don't think alligators have baculums either so but they do have an external system so yeah so we have no idea really no okay idea. yeah it'll be fun. oh boy we can talk about it'll be fun <laughs> did they do it dinosaur style i know what is dinosaur style wow We've got tails and spikes and armor and i'm assuming it had to have been a delicate process kind of like um porcupines or hedgehogs or something else that has a lot of like defensive structures around them that you have to you know, get around to do your thing. I just learned recently how millipedes mate, where they have, there's a segment that has pseudo legs, or or they're not pseudo legs. I am am not doing... (laughs) Graspers, right? Yeah, uh, they're modified legs. Yeah. And they will release semen, and then they will use legs in a higher segment to reach down, to bend over and kind of collect the semen to then inseminate uh, missionary style, is what the person told me, the expert. Like, like, this is so great. Oh, little buggies. Yeah. So they got their own little semen arms. Yeah. Yeah. So good. There's some weird, there's some weird copulations in the natural world. It's so great. (laughs) Cool. Well, let me plug um, our Patreon people first, and then we'll go into all of these topics. And hopefully everything will relate to dinosaurs. (laughs) Um, Sexplanations, Patreon page, Kyle Milky says, do your best and forget the rest. Then we have Donna Flint, Zipois, Paul, the Millers, and Ben Trammell. You are the bosses of this show. Thank you so much for your contributions on patreon.com slash explanations podcast. This episode is for you. Let's do it. (laughs) So I have some questions that the audience has asked me, and we'll use that as a loose guideline, but really, any callback you can do to prehistoric all the things, (laughs) that would be awesome. All right. We'll see what I can come up with. All right. Um, this said, would you be up for coming to the UK? Well, obviously. Anytime. (laughs) I've always wanted to go to the Natural History Museum of London. I follow them on Instagram and I'm just so jealous that I'm not a millionaire. Is it better than ones here? It's just different. They have different stuff, different mounts. It's an, it's an older, fabulous building. The architecture is amazing. I'm pretty sure they're the one with the blue whale skeleton mounted on the ceiling above the staircase. Like, oh gosh. 
It's just wow. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes. I'm going to be there in February. Oh, my gosh. You, you should go to the Natural History Museum in London. Okay. I guarantee you will not be disappointed at okay. all. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are penises there? I bet there's some penises. <laughs> I bet there's some penises. Because I'm sure there's a, a human history one, and everything in human history is phallic. So if you squint, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> you can make penises out of everything. Oh, that's so wonderful. Okay, cool. So we go to the UK. Have you been to the UK? No. Okay, on your list. On my list. I'm a girl, and it feels like I'm going to pee sometimes when my boyfriend gives me oral sex. Why is this? Isn't that like the approach of an orgasm? Orgasms can kind of feel like you got to go pee sometimes. That's why before you get down, you should always empty your bladder because then you don't you don't have that feeling as much. Is that true? I don't know if that is true. <laughs> it could be. Um my understanding is that because the urethra is in that area, it can get agitated, but also the sensation of female ejaculation or squirting comes from um, periurethral tissue, so it's right mm-hmm. around the urethra, and like you said, it can yeah. feel like orgasm is urination. Yeah. And so you can empty your bladder, but you can fill your bladder True. during the yeah, course yeah, yeah. of sex anyway, so. And I guess you're always supposed to... Go to the bathroom afterwards too, right? That yeah, helps. for hygiene and yeah, hygiene um, helps clear everything out. Yeah. Make sure you don't get bladder infections. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Yes. Um, what books slash other resources would you recommend I read or otherwise put into my mind about porn or <laughs> porn and dinosaurs? Oh my goodness! There's a book. Um, it's called The Dawn of the Deed. What? And yes, and the cover is amazing. It has two Tyrannosaurus Rex doing it. But there's, like, a black sensor bar over, like, the area. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's all kind of about, like, how – what evidence that we have about ancient life doing it um, kind of – there's, I think, one of the first chapters is, like, how did sex even begin? Like, how did you go from asexual to sexual Mm. back, like, way back? There's actually an Eons episode on that. So if you want to go – Way back in time. Yeah, like, who was the first to have sex? Oh, it was microbes. You know, whatever. But um, but Dawn of the Deed is hilarious, and it has kind of a pornographic cover on it, and it, it's just fabulous. And um, Carl Sagan's wife, Lynn Margulis, actually did a lot of work on the asexual to sexual evolution. And she wrote a book. Oh. Do you want me to look it up? It's like... How did how how did sex? Where did sex come from? Something like that. But Lynn Margulis, if you just Lynn Margulis sex, it should come up pretty quickly. Um, but she kind of goes much more in depth on this idea of how you go from asexual to sexual. Um, again, this is early early Earth, billions of years ago. We're talking microscopic life here. But the dawn little of the tiny deed. sex. Yeah, little tiny sex. Uh, but the dawn of the deed is a little bit more macro sex, for sure. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like there is a whole theory named after her. Yeah, yeah. Is she it kinda, that theory? She well, there's. She did a lot of research on this this sex question, but she also came up with the idea of the symbiotic planet. That's one of her books, Symbiotic Planet. But how we went from single cell to multi-cell organisms. And that is her like landmark theory. Wow. Yeah. What do you know? 
they had a brilliant son. (laughs) 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 Two brilliant people have made a brilliant baby. Um, But yeah, so she was, she, she is, I think she's still alive. God, I I will tell you, I am on her wiki page right now. She's age 73. Good. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, she was still alive. Cause she, oh, wait. Whoa, 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 wait, whoa. Wait. Nope. I was wrong. She died at age 73 oh. on November 22nd, 2011. Okay. So it's still in recent, recent history. Okay. So any was, she She did a lot of great things for, for science, figuring out, yeah, the symbiotic um, beginnings of multicellular life and then also how sex Became a thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Let's go to more questions. Okay. What are fleshlights? <laughs> that is like a uh, artificial vagina, right? Yeah. 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 Good job. Okay. Or anus. They're I guess more the orifice. Ge- yeah. Yeah. Artificial yeah. Because there can be mouths. Yeah. A more generic term would be Fifi sleeve or stroker, and then Fleshlight is a brand that makes them so that they are disguised as flashlights. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Discreet. Yes. I've seen the non-discreet ones, and I could see why you'd want a discreet one. (laughs) Yeah. They're pretty cool. Um, Let's see. What other questions? What are your thoughts on pornography? Um, I feel like it's fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's chill, you know, but I feel like there's a point where it gets like unsafe, like just like anything you have like a safe amount and safe topics. And then you get into like not safe and, or how do I want to say this that are glorifying bad things like like rape and things like that. I I feel like, oh, maybe there there are fantasies about it out there, but I feel like nobody should glorify like aggressive stuff like that, you know, like, oh yeah, this is just, this is what every woman wants is to be held down and raped. It just, that to me, it crosses the line. I don't even like movies with rape scenes in them. Yeah. So I'm just like, why? Why do we need this still going on? I mean, ugh. but other than that, I'll just like the fun kinky shit. Yeah. Have, have fun. <laughs> have fun with your stuff. Get good ideas. Bring it Bring it home, you know, whatever. But yeah, I feel like there, there's sometimes a line in my personal judgment here. Yeah, yeah. No, personal judgment is important. You, you get to have your perspective and your preferences. Um, I also have a really hard time with rape scenes in movies. If I, if it's even implied or suggested that it's going to happen, Mm -hmm. gotta go. Yeah. And I'll have people watch before me and, uh, (laughs) tell me whether or not it's something that I can view. Um, as far as pornography goes, I don't know the intention of people who watch rape porn or things that are more yeah. um, dangerous or violent. Like you said, it's definitely a fantasy that people have. And I think acting that out consensually true is – it's not rape. But, yeah, um, definitely playing that out is, you know. Toe in the line. Toe in the line, I feel like, right there. Some. But anyways, to each different flavor, yeah. yeah do, as people. long as it's consensual, then have at it. Just yeah, just I feel like you should look inward. Why? Why do you want to see that and do that and have that done to you? I think we could ask that for all 
<laughs> all types of Very sexual true. preferences. Yes. Why? <laughs> Let's get into this. What, what is the reason that I don't want to watch porn? Um, do asexuals masturbate? I don't. I have no idea. I gosh, I can't even. I can't envision a life without masturbation. <laughs> Like, I just, I don't know. I guess I, maybe there's levels of asexualism. There's like a hundred percent nothing sexual ever happens to my being. And then there's like, well, if only that sexual thing is happening to me by me versus somebody else. I don't know. I love watching you (laughs) (laughs) unpack it and explore it. It's so fun. Uh, These are questions I've never thought about. So, yeah. Yes, some asexuals masturbate. Okay, cool. Just like some heterosexuals, some homosexuals, some demi. um, That would be more of a behavior and a, a choice or an experience rather than an expression of desire. Gotcha. Just like some people who... Some people who identify as women and are attracted to men might still have sex with women. There's a difference between behavior and attraction. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Is it weird or abnormal to have sex for the first time in a hookup situation? Yeah, uh, You know, I don't know. I, w- I would hope that everybody that loses their V-card has that, like, romanticized, like, vision of it. <laughs> you know, it's rose petals on the bed, a long- long-term partner that you both seriously discussed your your decision of going forward with it. But, I, like, I don't even know if that happens for anybody ever. So, if you, like, if you were worried about performance and you just wanted to get it out of the way and it wasn't this big thing, it wasn't a big deal, you know, if it wasn't, like, the Christian version of it, I guess, you know, like, why not? Get it out of the way. Somebody you don't know that you don't have to ever see again or something like that. And then maybe the next time is a little bit more planned out or with somebody that you know longer than yeah a few hours. But I don't know. I wouldn't – I would not judge anybody harshly for that if they were like, oh, yeah, I don't even know the last name of the person that I lost my virginity to. I'd be like, cool. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. How was it? Hopefully – they were good. I hope it was good for you. I just hope it's good for everybody. It's a good experience. Yeah. Yes. That's that's great. I love that answer. Uh, when have you been with someone long enough that sex is an option? <sighs> Apparently seconds. <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, it, I, no relationship should come with this automatic understanding that there will be sex. At any point in any relationship, should there ever be an expectation of sex? And Mm. so even if you were married for 40 years, you still can't just be like, give it to me, wife or husband or partner or whatever. You know, like that's kind of not how it is. But if you get to the point where you think sex is optional in like a long-term relationship, um, a partnership for a very long time, you might want to start, why Why is it getting optional for you? You know, like, well, mm-hmm. what changed it? Like, why don't you see your partner's sexual needs as a, a need to fill anymore or something like that? Like, where'd the spark go? Where did it go? <laughs> but for the most part, I don't think that anybody should expect sex from anybody else. 
anytime. So you can go forever without ever doing it with somebody. Yeah, snap, snap, snaps. (laughs) So true. I love that you're asking all the whys. Why do I like the porn I'm interested in? Why do I masturbate? (laughs) Uh, Science. Science is infiltrated my brain. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's good. Um, Is there an age limit for your channel? Like Eon's channel? Well, so this was asked of me. Of you. And I said no, though a lot of our videos have been age-restricted. But I'm asking it of you, so you can answer it for Eon's. I don't think there's too much of an age limit on Eon's. I know I've had a few people email me and tell me that their, like, grade schooler really enjoys our show. And I'm like... We use some really big concepts and some pretty big words, and so I'm wondering how much the kids are actually getting out of the episodes that they're seeing more of, like, the pretty pictures and stuff like that, even though I think that's important, like, getting kids into science as early as possible, whether they're not whether or not they're picking up all the minute details from the episode. But I would say definitely high school to college is probably where you're going to absorb the most from our channel. For your channel, I would say like as soon as puberty kicked in for a girl because they start first, right? Is that still is that still? It, I mean, it depends. Okay. It's like in general, girls tend to start earlier, but the overlap could be that some girls start later than boys. And also, I would say, and I should check that too, because that could be wrong, but um, I just found out that YouTube is age-restricted to 13 or above. Like You are not actually allowed to have a YouTube account until you're 13, kind of like Facebook is restricted because of... These are probably parents showing them on their accounts, I'm assuming. So, But yeah, I would say, like... As as soon as like, hey, that person is good looking. As soon as those <laughs> thoughts start to enter your brain, I feel like you could handle this podcast or the YouTube channel for for oh, sex. Yeah, you could definitely you know? handle it. I would say that people need to be starting it earlier though, because Early. your anatomy is with you for that whole time or mm-hmm. your experiences of sexual harassment might come earlier and needing yep. to understand your body and consent and what is and isn't okay and who to communicate with and yeah. how all of that can happen early. Oh, yeah. Like, ugh. Way before 13. Oh, yeah. Sex education in general should start basically at, like, kindergarten. Yes, with, please. Yeah. I'm, mm, I watched your episode on abstinence-only sex education. I'm just like, oh, ah! it just makes my skin crawl, too. <laughs> just, ah! So much anger. Yes. All right. Next question. Can okay. fingernails rip or tear condoms? I would think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Latex balloon. Right? Yeah. Same thing. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they stretch pretty good, but puncture is still puncture. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who is your favorite Muppet? You know, I, I kind of like Animal because of <laughs> all of his music videos. I'm just like, he was like just hilarious and his bright, crazy orange hair and like playing the drums and... It was fun. Yeah. Animal's fun one. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, now can you connect any of that to dinosaurs? Or pre- prehistoric everything, right? You're prehistoric. not just saying dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. No, no. And I don't really study dinosaurs at all. I, like, know about them. Ooh. What do you... 
Well, can you? I don't know. Help I mean, me understand. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm um, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Like um, my collection that I've been in charge of for over a decade now spans three billion years. Like our oldest specimen is over three billion years old, and our youngest specimen is about nine thousand years old. And we have everything from invertebrates, so those things that don't have backbones like shells and gastropods and these little sea lily thing, crinoids and those types of things. And then we have the vertebrates, which fish, birds, mammals, all that stuff. And so we have a wide, vast collection that I need to be relatively knowledgeable for each thing. You yeah. Know, somebody asked me, do you have this? You know, a quick Google may help me, you know, narrow mm-hmm. it down. But for the most part, I kind of need to know a little bit about a lot of stuff. Now, if I could just like ignore all of that and just ah, focus on one thing, um, there's a time period that we call it the Eocene Oligocene transition. It's a time in the Cenozoic, the age of mammals, where you get these really weird, like, just strange mammals. They're big and they're awkward looking. And into the Oligocene, you start to get some environmental changes that also changes the animals around it as well. And so you start losing these archaic looking things and you start getting more modern groups and lineages that you'd be like, that looks like a deer. In the Eocene, you'd be like, that has four legs. <laughs> and so like, so you go from things that you couldn't really classify to things that look much more familiar. And then it's just, it just picks up speed from there until we get into the modern world. But this transition from kind of archaic to modern is is really neat. And I think this locality that we have in the collection, I came across it one day. It's amazing. There's amphibians, so salamanders. I think it's salamander. It could be a newt, but um, one of those amphibians and froglets, so frogs that still have tails from Mm -hmm. their metamorphosis. And we have those at this site, and they're preserved with soft body. So you can see the outline of their body shadow. You, If I looked at it and shot some laser beams at it, I could probably tell you if there's any internal organs left. And it's just the most amazing preservation. And nobody has studied it at all. A couple of people have wrote um, some real just like footnotes that's like, there's some plants and there's like these amphibians and they're cool. And that's it. That's all they say about them. And so my little side passion project at work is to like, what is it about this locality that makes these wonderful fossils? How old is the locality? I'm assuming it's right there at the Eocene Oligocene transition, but we'll find out someday, I hope. Um, What do you mean by locality? Locality. So the, the place where the fossils come from. Okay. So where we collected them out into the field and brought them back. So this and do you is, know what the locality of those are? I do, uh, surprisingly. Uh, sometimes the material that we have in the collection doesn't have a lot of good locality data. So it's kind of like a, it was found in Missoula County. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the East Coast, a county level is pretty detailed. I mean, that's pretty small. But once you get into Montana, you can fit like three or four East Coast states into one county. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even saying, okay, Macon County, oh my God, that is a giant county. Like where in that county? So, but 
anyways, I digress. But this locality here is found um, actually just north of Lincoln. So it's like an hour and a half away from here. And it's in an area where you would have not expect this type of rock to come out of. And it was glaciated. So most of the rock that's like it was just scraped away by glaciers coming down. And so it's like this little thin skin that was preserved on the side of a random forest road. Like you wouldn't. If you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't know it was there. So it's kind of a neat little hidden gym that's close, that has good road access, where there's camping like a half a mile away. Like it's the perfect field site. It really is. So I've worked out there a little bit. Um, life gets in the way a lot, but that's what I would like. If I could just work on one thing only, it would be that. To mm -hmm. study that mm -hmm. side of the road. That side of the road this like 30 foot outcrop like that's all that's left <laughs> but there's so many questions I could sit here all day and just like rattle off questions that I have about that site how why when all of them so someday there'll be a lovely paper written about these <laughs> I'm trying to think if there is something that I have as much curiosity about in a there is actually because when I went to do my doctorate it was to figure out what female ejaculation was all about what it what's in it where is it coming from why do some people experience it and others don't and I am actually still on that investigation yeah um, I did meet someone who is going to arrange for the the high-end production of this investigation which is very cool oh that is neat. Um, so we'll hopefully have a slow motion camera to figure out exactly which orifices it's coming out of. and That would be so cool. Hopefully have it under a microscope and look at the different components. I, I don't even know the language to be able to understand it, but hopefully we'll put all the same people or all, all the smart people in the same room Oh yeah, and figure it out. Oh, that's going to be neat. Well, yeah, there you go. There's your little passion project. Yeah. You well, hopefully you'll get to do yours too. Oh, yeah. Oh, it'll happen. It'll happen. It's just finding time, you know, time. Yeah, Callie on the side of the road. Fossils. Callie on the side of the road. What are you looking for? You know, just fossils. <laughs> How old were those specimens? I think, I think about 35 million. <laughs> how, how, I don't understand how we know it's um, so luckily in in this case, a lot of times how we get these number dates um, are radiometric dates. So we look at a radioactive layer that is bounding your fossil layer. Mm -hmm. And most radioactive layers come from volcanic ashes. So you you cross your fingers every time you get into a fossil bed and hope that they're either above or below your fossil bed. There's an ash layer, and they're very easily datable, very easily datable. And so that's usually where we get our So that's a marker. Dates. Yeah, that's a date. Now, let's say you don't have a volcanic ash bed. A lot of times you can tell by the life that's in it to get a general age range. So if I was looking at something that had trilobites in it, I would know that it had to be older than the Permian because all the trilobites die at the end of the Permian. So that's a cutoff. And there are some species that are very well represented in the fossil record. And you can see just like looking at an outcrop, the slight changes in speciation as time increases. And so we can use those as an index. So they're called index fossils. So if you have this form of it, you know that those forms are only during this time period. So hopefully somewhere else that has those morphologies 
also have datable ash beds. So then you're more matching up the fossils with dated beds as well. So that's kind of how we get. So my um, this site itself is riddled with ash beds. So hooray! Hopefully one of them has enough junk in it to measure some ages and give me some age ranges there. But yeah, it's it's delicate. But we do it all the time. And so it's really well calibrated. There's not a whole lot of question about the are the dates that you're getting real? It's like, yes, those are real numbers. That is a real age. That's how old these rocks are. What? Mm-hmm. What's really crazy is when people have trouble with numbers of years, but they don't have trouble with like numbers of dollars. So for example, the universe, the entire universe that we know of is like 13.8 billion years old. 13.8 mm-hmm. billion years. And I work with big number years all the time. So in my brain, it just compartmentalizes and I'm like, oh yeah, beginning of the universe, yada, yada, yada. And I go past it. There's a lot of people that have just get like, oh, I can't. It's very hard for me to even think in the millennias. So even the thousands of years is tough. But then you think about our national debt. It's like 22 trillion Maybe it's up to $24 trillion now. Thanks, tax breaks. Um, but so, yeah, it's like $22 trillion. And people are like, yeah, whatever. National debt. Blah. That's more dollars than there are years in our universe. And I, nobody seems to have a problem with that. But you say the Earth is 4 billion years old. And they're like, ah, oh, no. It can't be that old. No. Mm-mm. But $22 trillion is like... What ifs? What ifs? I can deal. That's not that much. Wow. That's what I always have. Like, yeah. I when I and then whenever I convert it to myself, like if I thirty five million years ago, okay, whatever. There's this type of life. The the continents are here. This is going on. And then I transfer that into my head. I, I tra- translate it, I guess. And thirty five million dollars. I'm like, oh my god. That's so much money. <laughs> so I'm like the opposite. Uh, like I have no problem with the years, but once I think of it in dollars, it just boggles my mind. Like just boggles. I get so caught up in like that is a lot of money. But oh yeah. It's a lot of money and a lot of time. True. True. I am in both situations. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I'm still thinking about how you're saying that there is a frog-like species from 35 million years ago, and we still have a variation of that. And now I'm looking 35 million years into the future, curious about what oh, yeah. the the version of us will become. <laughs> like, will we even have a uterus anymore? Who knows? Will we have? I don't even right? know. I mean, I'm assuming unless humans go way off the general scheme of evolution, because like we are very, very capable of getting away from Darwinian evolution. So Mm -hmm. basically your environment molds you and there's nothing you can do about it. Humans, we're cold. We put layers on. We don't migrate to a warmer Mm -hmm. weather, you know. And so we have been able to circumnavigate Darwinian evolution, I think. Just like everybody that has a C-section should have died. I have the worst eyesight 
ever, I would have died, you know, but we're able to keep ourselves alive with modern medicine and, and things and, and houses and changing our environment to make us happy instead of us changing to make it comfortable within the environment that we're stuck in. So if we move away from traditional, like, reproduction somehow, like, Instead of a surrogate human, it's a surrogate test tube. And mm-hmm. everybody just like goes to that. Maybe. I don't know. It's going to take, oh, man, it's going to take a lot to change us to the point of just totally different. I mean, sexual reproduction has been a thing for billions of years. So 35 million into the future, for me personally, I don't see uteruses going anywhere. But what happens to humans, though, like maybe, maybe we can get around that. Maybe it becomes dangerous to have one and, and uterus people are taken out, you know, because we, we can see evolution working on us right now. The, the easiest example is your wisdom teeth. Mm-hmm. So there, most people, myself included, have had to have wisdom teeth removed because they cause a problem. Your jaw is not big enough to house them. Well, a few million years ago, when our lineage was first getting started, we had a larger lower jaw, and those wisdom teeth were no big deal. They came in perfectly. But as we have evolved, our faces have gotten flatter and our jaws have gotten smaller, and we can no longer deal with those wisdom teeth. So if we stayed in like 1800s forever— Mm-hmm. There would be a lot of people dying from impacted, infected wisdom teeth. And those are going to slowly take those individuals out of the gene pool because they're right. dying because right. they have wisdom teeth. Now, there are people alive today. I have a volunteer right now. She was born without wisdom teeth. She right. has them. She, she doesn't have them, I mean. And so, if again, if we were in the 1800s, she would have a way better chance of getting to reproductive age and having successful children than individuals that still had wisdom teeth. But because of modern medicine and we are humans, we just rip them out. We're fine. And so, like, we're not taking that group of individuals out of the gene pool anymore. But say there comes a time when some feature is either selected for or against and you could I could, I don't know. Humans are weird. It's hard to apply any of the kind of known evolutionary rules to humans because we can change that at will. Like apocalypse happens. Yeah, there's going to be some crazy stuff that goes down. Has apocalypse happened? Because then you're not going to have all of these modern ways to get around selection processes anymore. So C-sections, for example. Our human baby heads are getting out of control. They're getting too big to come out of us. But that is probably, I don't want to say correlation equals causation, Mm -hmm. but allowing fetus that grow too big to still be alive. A C-section. A C-section. Yeah, totally. You know? We're breeding bigger people, Mm -hmm. and we're not breeding... Well, we're not yes and no. We mm-hmm. we are, but also if we have a C-section, then we can still breed bigger people without yeah. it taking out the person's Exactly. Pelvis. Now, 100 to 200 years ago, that would have not have been an option. Right. You would have killed way too many people in your population, mothers and babies alike. And yeah. so that would have kind of ended itself already. Like humans wouldn't have been able to get ridiculous head size, fetus head sizes because all the... All of them would have died. And so, like I said, if, if, if somehow, you know, 
like, what is it, Escape from L.A. when they set off the, the giant EMP and it sends us back to the Dark Ages, you know? If something like that happens tomorrow, I would that would be quite the social experiment as what happens to humans in it. Because then we, we go back to the traditional Darwinian, except mm. for those few people that still know how to extract a tooth and hobble together some glasses to get you by so you don't immediately walk off a cliff or something. So it would be it would be really interesting. It's a great thought experiment to think about even even a hundred thousand years into the future. That's still an incredibly long time for human evolution. I mean, three hundred thousand years ago is like the oldest Homo sapien of our lineage. So we've we've conquered the world in three hundred thousand years. No problem. I think it's going to happen much faster. So a thousand years even into the future, what are we going to be like? Our our brains are getting smaller, which I think that is kind of um, that's even though our skulls are getting bigger. Well, our skulls aren't really getting that much bigger either. The front of our faces and our jaws are actually getting smaller, and our fetus heads are getting bigger. But as a baby develops, you have uh, an absurd amount of your brain is already the size it's going to be forever. And so I think uh, It's Okay to Be Smart just did um, an episode about, um, like, why do you only have one set of teeth or something like that or two sets of teeth? I can't remember the topic. Ah, I was binging and they all kind of (laughs) morphed into one episode. Um, But, yeah, so, like... Humans can change really quickly, I guess what I'm trying to say. And so, yeah, just a thousand years from now, like, what will we be? So, yeah, our brains are getting smaller, but they're getting more efficient. So we're getting more wrinkles. But so the brain soaks up a lot of energy, a ton of energy. Like, if you've ever been studying and you're like, dang, I am hungry. It's because your brain is like using all of its energy, all your body's energy to figure out that math problem, to figure out whatever. So snacking while studying is a really good idea. But anyways, it takes a lot of effort to control your brain or for the brain to control itself. And so if you can make it smaller but more efficient, you use less energy. And so you're not having to supply so much of your diet to your brain. So it's it's like a good thing it's getting smaller and more efficient for us. If it just kept getting bigger, we'd have to eat like 5,000 calories a day and 2,000 or 3,000 of it is just going to your brain. That would be absurd. <laughs> well, it's like personal computers. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is your own personal little computer. It's amazing how yeah. fast the brain can work. So... Yeah. Who knows? Ugh. I think a lot of people have looked into that, you know, just taking, okay, what can we see right now? Smaller jaw, smaller brain, missing molar teeth, stuff like that. And then just draw them out, extrapolate from here. You get some pretty crazy looking humans by the time. Have you ever seen that movie Time Machine? No. It's pretty cool. So he goes accidentally, goes like, almost a million years into the future, like 900,000 years into the future. And humans have split into two different populations. Mm. I won't go any farther than that, but it's a pretty neat little thought experiment for a movie. So interesting. Yeah, I believe that in the future, the reproductive organs that we have now will not function the way they, they do. They will become like... What are what are they vestigial called? The, the vestigial organs. Vestigial organs. Yeah. 
Yes, our reproductive organs will become vestigial. And I also think that we will not be having sex as we know it. Like we'll we'll still want to experience an orgasm, but it will be accessible through like a button or what it, whatever system we have to activate things in the future. Uh, yeah. yeah, I could see um I mean the the risk of burying a child, just have childbirth in general is a risky move. Oh, it's painful and yeah. it's messy it's and messy. it's heavy and it's it's awful and it's life threatening. Every single pregnancy is life threatening to the mother and to the fetus, no matter what. You could have a perfect pregnancy, but the pregnancy in and of itself is risking your life. And so, if you could get around that, not have babies the traditional way anymore, that takes a whole chunk of life threateningness out of the equation. So, women that would have died during childbirth wouldn't because you've taken childbirth out of it. So yeah, there definitely is a use it or lose it kind of idea in evolution. So yeah, if if we, you know, designer babies or whatever, and we just continue to do that, and all of a sudden, oh, this is just for menstruation. Great. <laughs> Great. We should probably keep that around. Great. <laughs> Thanks, uterus. Um, but, but yeah, I could kind of see it going going that that way it's a lot easier for me to think of a a uterus going vestigial than a penis though for some reason like I feel like dudes would still use it all the time (laughs) (laughs) all the time like uh, it wouldn't go away that's too much of a I think maybe because it's outside it's like maybe but if we become <laughs> more intersex right less mm-hmm. binary and more intersex where everyone is in that gray space i think that yeah i don't know these don't know are either. just hypotheses i know it's fun a little thought experiments That's i so good. They're, yeah they're fun but yeah that would be really like i said i'm all for them going vestigial as long as menstruation stops too like that has to end it yeah. has to go away too. And like, a time frame on it? Like when that would happen, how long it would happen? Because vestigial means that it it has to happen through evolution. Yeah. So a good example of a vestigial organ outside the human body is uh, whales. So if you look at a whale, they obviously don't have legs anymore. But they evolved from terrestrial legged animals. And so when you look at, let's say, a humpback whale, and you go to their pelvis or where their pelvis should be, they actually have a floating pelvis. The bones are still there. They're highly reduced, and they're not connected to anything, but they're there. And so that is a highly reduced organ that serves no purpose that's on its way out. Like, in millions of years into the future, you probably won't even see vestigial organs in whales anymore. They'll finally have gone all the way away. Now, the whale evolution, oh geez, we did a we did an eons episode about this. <laughs> and now I'm trying to remember the dates because going from a terrestrial animal to an, a, a full-time aquatic animal didn't ha- like didn't take very long for whales. Uh, I want to throw out like 30 million years for a whale to go from 100% terrestrial to whale in in the ocean. It's going to happen way faster than that. For humans, yeah, I would assume that it would go way faster. But I wouldn't 
I would go into the hundreds of thousands of years, probably just looking at how much the human body has changed in the 300,000 that we've had. And only, you know, 200 of that has had any type of medicine or technology or anything like that. And so with technology, I think will come a faster pace vestigial if they're if we get any more vestigial organs. So for humans, like you can have babies born with tails. They, they snip them off pretty quick, but that is a vestigial organ from our primate lineage. Mm -hmm. So we used to have tails. Leave the tails on. Leave the tails on. Although eh, we're not really set up for tails anymore. So I can imagine that would be actually kind of uncomfortable on your back since we're meant to stand upright okay, on fair. two legs. But still, um, but that's a that's an easy vestigial for us humans is just randomly it happens. But but for whales and some really big snakes um, like boa constrictors, they have these spikes where their pelvis would be. And they kind of actually work like legs. They help move the rest of the snake body forward. Um, and I think those are also considered vestigials. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it can happen. Like I said, the whole whale evolution thing took like 30 million years, but I think it would go much faster in humans. Mm -hmm. Or we'll just come up with a, a pill or something that we take that specifically dissolves the reproductive system. Right? Oh, God. Can you imagine? Oh, just, oh, have cancer? Take this pill. It will d dissolve it. It just goes away. Mm -hmm. Or... It will move those cells to your brain and <laughs> alter their uh, makeup to become neurons and make you smarter. Oh, gosh. I mean, where we're at with stem cell research is just we are on, I can feel it, we are on a cusp of some revolutionary stuff. And, and there are people like, oh, let me... Take a cheek cell, you know, just swab your cheek, and we're going to turn that into a brain cell. Yep. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. And with and, and with stem cells and not having to get stem cells from fetus anymore helps a lot with that. But, um, yeah, what you can turn stem cells in. I mean, like, I'm hoping that when I'm an old lady, I'm like uh, the transplant list isn't even going to be a thing. They're going to be able to swab my cheek and grow me a new kidney. My kidney. It'll be mine. They use my genetic information yep. and they grow me my kidney and they put it back in. Like The Island? Is that the movie The Island with Ian McGregor? Anyways, there's another great movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and so like, oh, you need a new face? Uh, your, your skin is looking old and saggy? Let's just grow you some new baby skin and we'll put baby skin on you. You know, so I can only imagine when I'm 80 – what getting a hip will be like. Will they be able to just grow me a new hip and then put my hip in? Will yeah, they be 3D able to printing. Grow? I know. And that's a whole nother thing. Like, what? Have you had any, um, have you done an episode on like 3D printed sex toys? Is that a thing I yet? I have not. Oh, it's definitely a thing. I People have brought them to me from oh. at conferences and stuff. They're like, I may do this 3D printed penis. Um, yeah, people are... <laughs> are doing all sorts of amazing things and they're going to continue to and oh, yeah. it's going to go faster and faster and faster. Yep. And uh it I think it's going to get to the point where because you will be able to live so much longer, we're going to have the ethical debate about whether or not we cap the population and just mm. say okay, these are the people who live or 
now we need volunteers to die so that we yeah, have a- or at least uh, pop- some some type of birth control or like I I've heard this argument a lot, but like you need in some states you need a license for a gun. In every state, you need a license to drive a car. You know, like, mm-hmm. when will we get to the point where you're going to have to have a license to have a kid? And that gets into, oh, my God, so many ethical debates in, in Pandora's box of ethics. But I think it's one of those hard questions that we're really going to have to look at. But I kind of personally think my generation is handling that shit right now because... So well? So, well, because most most of my friends don't want children mm-hmm. and they're not planning on having children. So it's. I think there is going to be a huge population decrease that we'll see when you look at those awesome population maps that look like hourglasses and stuff. There's going to be like... Whoop! Although we're, we make up a bigger population than the baby boomers, it's going to dip yeah. underneath us because so many people like myself have chosen not to have children. And whether or not that changes when socioeconomic levels change as well, when it doesn't cost $100,000 to get a degree, you're not living in your basement, parents' basement until your 40s or whatever, you know. And I know a lot of that financial stress is somewhat of the reasons why so many people have decided not to have kids right now or ever but um will that change you know like if everything gets better and education gets cheaper and we start kind of morphing back to that post-war neon light pie in the sky american dream of the baby boomers i don't know i doubt it i i think we've gone too far we're there is a Kirkestat, I think it's Kirkestat video about overpopulation and how it will actually not go above a certain amount. I think it's eight billion because um, populations take care of themselves. Yeah, way. I mean, we've seen it over and over. Whether it's you know disease or or you know just people like recognizing that humans have had a massive impact on our planet and. What's one thing you can do? Well, two big things you can do is eat less meat and have less kids. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's finally starting to reverberate with with people of reproductive age right now. Like, maybe I don't want to add to this shit storm that is, you know, the environment right now. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm okay with letting my lineage die, you know. I'm not running a farm in the 1800s and I need 11 kids to be my yeah. slaves basically on my ranch, you know? Well, so, or like some of them are going to die. So most of them are going to die before they're five. Yeah. So yeah, you got to have a lot to make sure that few of them make it through. So without kind of all of that, I think I think that there is kind of this awakening that like, oh crap, it's really expensive to have a kid. Like, oh my God, I can't even afford to buy buy a car how am I gonna <laughs> how am I gonna support another human life and and then just like how much material it takes to mm-hmm. support a human life and huge so, carbon footprint huge carbon footprint and so like I said I think definitely my generation is starting to like visually see that and kind of act upon it with their own personal choices so I could see, I could totally see a natural population cap of just people being like, nah, mm, yep, I'm okay, I'm fine. Good job, team. Yep. Way to save the environment one less human at a time. So yes. 
That's mm-hmm. so good. <laughs> Want to do Kegels? Names, please. Do you know what a kegel is? Yeah, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do a segment called the Main Squeeze, where we do kegels as a group so that people listening to the podcast can get oh. a workout in their groins. Right. Um, so we'll just do maybe 10 quick ones. Okay. Ready? Okay. Go. <laughs> I didn't count them so people could do them at all speeds. Okay, I was 10. For me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are we holding? Are we pulsing? Are we? <laughs> yeah, you, you do them in all sorts of ways. Um, the last thing is to assign sextra credit. A little homework so you don't forget it. Here's Dr. Dose's extra credit. So oh. if there's something that you have in mind to give the audience between now and the next episode that they can work on with their sexuality or prehistoric <laughs> studies. You know, I was just thinking of that. <sighs> Find their own side of the road. You know, Google Dawn of the Deed and have a good laugh at that cover. Oh, okay. my God. That's so good. And then if you wanted to take it a little farther, maybe Google how did T-Rex have sex. And as a bonus, this image should come up immediately when you type in T-Rex sex, is this mounted skeleton in South America of these two Rexes getting it on. So everybody should see that. Of course in South America. I know. They have all the fun down nah. there. Yeah, I know. But they're, they're like have, they have two T-Rexes mounted in copulation. And so that would be my thing. Learn about T-Rex doing it. See the pictures, and if you want to, rent Dawn of the Deed from your local library, or I'm sure it's very cheap on Amazon used, and it's it's a good it's a good book. If I remember correctly, there was some pretty uh, awesome dad jokes in there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so there's some humor. What makes along every the way. book better? Dad <laughs> jokes. That's awesome, Kelly. Thank you for being on the Sexplanations yes. podcast. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was so fun. Yes. Oh, I love it. Uh, thank you also to Cinema Studios, Callie. Thanks for doing the sound production. In addition to Callie, who's sitting on the couch. You're with Callie. Me. Okay. Both of your Callie. I know. I see it all the time in our Eons um, Seth correspondence. Oh, Callie's working on the mixing right now. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what what am I doing? Worlds have collided here, you guys. It's so great. Yes. So thank you to you. Um, to Cinema Studios, to Complexly, to Count Boogie for doing the jingles, and Cora and Parl, I'm still learning. Yeah.